In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Thank you, Eric. All right, I get to do the introduction for our speaker today, but I'm going to take a minute because I want to pull back the curtain and I want to show you something about uh, what's been going on in this church. And um, I do this because I want us to really own this. I want us to start seeing that this is not just stuff that we're making up. There's actually God going before us in such a strong way. I want to draw your attention to a scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 that says this. It says, now watch this. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. He's been talking about the church and how things are supposed to happen in the church and so on. And he says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, that's now, right? When we meet together, our gathering. When you meet together, now listen to this. This is what I was saying earlier. One will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. Um, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must be done to strengthen all of you. Now right now, right here in this, in this service, you've already had how many different people stand up and lead us in different ways, right? And from the congregation too. And I'm encouraging more of this. Right? Because what we're supposed to be doing is the body is supposed to be being the body, bringing your gifts, and this is what we're supposed to be experiencing. As I've said, it's not church the way that you know it. It's church the way that he wants it. Okay? The church that has to do with a family together all contributing because the sum of the parts is much greater than what could ever be orchestrated by a few people. Okay? So having said that, now watch this. Now, he goes, on, he goes on and he says, let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. Now, watch this. If someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who's speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Okay? And then he goes into some other things. But do you see the spirit of this? Do you see the heart that God has? is that when somebody's standing up, like Babette did, she gives a word. If somebody else gets a word, he's literally saying, as somebody else gets a word, if you're doing what I'm saying, am I supposed to be saying, oh, I do have something. When she's done, or even when she's not done, is what it's saying, right? That if you're supposed to give it, then you give it. And then she goes, okay, the Lord's doing something else, because what we don't want to hear from is, no offense, Babette. Right? And she would be the first one to agree with this. We don't want to hear what Babette has to say about things. Not that we don't love her and wouldn't treasure that in its own way. But what we want to hear at that moment in time is what God has to say. Right? And if God is doing something, one of the ways we know it's God is, is when she says something and then somebody else says something and somebody else says something and they're all moving in the same way, all of a sudden we start understanding, oh my gosh, this is God speaking. See what I mean? Something's bigger than us, God, and he's leading us. Now that's what happens in a service, but I want you to just sort of draw back and understand that the spirit of that is very much at work in what we're doing with the sermons. Uh, uh, this has been true forever, as long as I've ever preached. I've never thought of a message as a teaching, never. I've always thought of it as a prophetic word, by which I mean the foretelling of the things of God. I go and I pray and I ask God what to say and I keep praying until I get something that I know is from him and then I get so excited about telling you what he told me that I can't wait to stand up here and tell you and that's why I'm always so overly excited. Okay? But you get the point. Now that was me doing that for many, many years. But then the Lord started moving on us four or five years ago and he started bringing different voices from the congregation. Some from outside, but mostly from this body 
as it says in, its, in the Word, right? People coming up and giving sermons, and we've been doing this. And I really think that we've brought our congregation to a place to where people are starting to not think of Kurt as the preacher, as the only person that delivers the Word, but we've started thinking of this congregation together as finding God. Now, I want to pull back the curtain to how that actually worked in today's sermon. Because two months ago, I was asking the Lord, uh, two months ago now, maybe three months ago almost, I was asking the Lord, who's supposed to speak when I try and give people who I'm asking to speak time to work on it and so on. So two or three months ago, how long ago was it? Yeah, two and a half months ago. And I, I was praying and I said, boy, you know, he likes it when I do Mother's Day, but I really like it when a woman does Mother's Day. I don't know why, I don't know which ones you guys prefer, but that's Julian Mai's little thing. And, and so the thing is, is I did it last year, and so I thought I'd get to have a woman this year. And so I, 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 I prayed about it, and I felt like God said, Tamara. And so I said, Tamara, you're, take the Mother's Day sermon. So she did. And so she's been working on something and everything else, and we haven't really been talking about it. I go two, three weeks ago to a conference, not a conference, a workshop, exponential workshop. It was three churches around the nations that we went and visited, and what they're working on is discipleship, as are we. And they're working on very innovative ways of doing discipleship that are way outside the box. And the one that was the last one was Soma. And you may have heard of Soma churches around here because Soma was started down in Tacoma by a game with just Vanderslet, Vanderstelt, Slet, what's his name? Does anybody know it? He's now pastoring Mars Hill. And by the way, what a, what a great transition. I love Mark, and, but he did, there was a big problem there, a huge problem. And the fact is, is Jeff took the church and, and Jeff is magnificent. What a, what a, what a, kind thing the Lord has done in bringing that man into that church. I'm really excited about what's going to happen from there because this guy has an understanding of discipleship that goes so far beyond anything I've ever even heard before. And you know me, I'm way out there, okay? But I mean, I mean, just a very different understanding of it. So the point is, is that he's talking about some of these things of discipleship. And as I'm listening, all of a sudden, literally, the Lord just downloads a Mother's Day sermon for me. And I was like, wow. Now I'm feeling like, well, wait a minute, I already asked Tamara. And so I don't know what to do. But I, have, I literally wrote down this whole time, this Mother's Day sermon, as fast as I could write. It all just downloaded. it. And I went, wow, that's an excellent Mother's Day sermon. What, how encouraging. What a word. By the way, come next week and you'll get to hear it, okay? <laughs> Unless the Lord does something else this week, okay? But, but the point is I called up Tam and I didn't tell her that it, that it happened to me because I wanted to know how far down the road she was on her Mother's Day because I was trying to work it out and figure out what the Lord was doing. So I call her and I say, how are you doing with the Mother's Day sermon? She said, I'm doing really great with the sermon, but it's not really a Mother's Day sermon. <laughs> now, she didn't know that the other thing that had happened at that conference was is that God started talking to me and showing me things about identity and that I was supposed to put the pause on empowered or, or do the identity empowered, which I did last week. But she didn't know what that sermon was. And as I sat and listened to her talk about the sermon that she was going, planning on doing on Mother's Day, which really wasn't a Mother's Day sermon, can, can you guys just receive this? It was exactly the sermon that needed to follow the sermon that I hadn't even talked to her about yet. You see it? I was talking about identity, and she was talking about identity. And this was so strong, I said, I don't know exactly still what you're going to say because she was still working on it, but I said, I'm going to get done with my sermon and then I'm going to ask you whether or not you should be preaching next week. We were still holding it in a little bit of flux just in case the Lord was doing something different. I walked over after the sermon and I said, now tell me, are you next? And Eric is the one that said it. He said, this is part two of that sermon. 
what she has is the next thing that needs to be set. Now, thank you, God, for leading us. But I want to do what Eric just did for a second, and I want to show you some of the political problems of it. My daughter is about to get married three weeks from now. Thank you, God. It's going to be wonderful. You guys generously, and just the way that we are, we're going to go ahead and go back there and spend the two weeks with her. She doesn't live here, and the wedding's in Denver. And we're going to go and spend the family time with her to have those two weeks running up to it and so on. And then L.A. convention is after that. And I'll be gone from here for three Sundays. Now, I knew that before I ever asked her to speak on Mother's Day, and I said to myself, I don't know if it's good that I'm out of the pulpit for four weeks. Now, think about that for a second. Because the reason why I scheduled her on Mother's Day, even though I had that political thought, was is because I was saying to myself, I know that not everybody likes it when I don't preach very much. I know some people love it. <laughs> but I know that there's an issue there. But can I tell you what I believe? God is speaking to the people that we're putting here. God is in control of the word that's coming forth. And I have gotten to the place to where I'm willing to never preach again as long as God will speak. If he wants to use me, I'm asking me if he'd slot me in. But I'm not going after me preaching anymore here. I'm going after what God's saying. And I'm going to pray and fast and do everything I can in order to do the best that we can do together as a body in order to get the word of the Lord to come forth through the right messengers in the right way. Today, what you're going to hear is a sermon that is the perfect follow-up to what I did last week because the way I do things is a certain way. But Tamara is going to be speaking about exactly the same thing from an entirely different place because God wants us to understand the fullness of this identity thing. Right? Now that's what we're doing here. And that's why I'm so excited to bring up Tamara to preach to you. And would you please welcome her? Clicker? Is it up here? Okay, it's all right. Clickers are good. <laughs> so, hi. Uh, I'm going to pull the curtain. Can we bring the lights down just a little bit so I can see people? <laughs> yeah, because I like to see you, my friends, right? <sighs> hey, <laughs> smiling faces are really good. So I spoke two and a half years ago up here. And I spoke because the sermon series stirred something in me and, and left me unsettled and God wasn't... Thank you. <laughs> okay, it's this button, right? Arrow, right, the arrow button. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Um, God wasn't going to let me sit in the uncertainty. And I'd been sitting in it for a really long time. And because he has made me to teach, he knew the only way I'd get out of the uncertainty was to make me teach about it. Because you don't really know anything until you've taught it, right? So when we hit the Empowered series and I started struggling, I went, darn. <laughs> I'm not, well, yay, I'm not going to be left here either. But I'm going to have to wrestle this a little bit more. And so here I am in the middle of the wrestling, and I, I want to give you guys my story. Um, 
I come from a family of rule followers. Rules have been good to us. They are a safe place. If we do what's expected of us, life pans out okay. My grandparents lived through the Depression. They lived through World War II. They were good people. They did the right thing. My parents, amazing people. They do the right thing. But my adult life and my Christian life has been breaking free of those rules and trying to find God in a, in a different place. But my default button is to go back to the rules. I don't want to do that, but when I'm uncertain, that's where I find myself, looking for a way to do things. I follow the pattern. Life will be fine. I'm in a safe place. Maybe I don't need God. Yeah, that, that doesn't actually go through my head, but maybe that's what's, what's under there. So, when we started the Empowered series, there are no rules, right? There's nothing you can do that will guarantee a healing. There's nothing you can do to guarantee a prophecy. There are no rules. And the way I work with rules is I'll look at the set, I'll decide if I like them, and if I think they're stupid, I ignore them and move on. But if I think they're good, I'll engage them. And then, <laughs> the thing is, if I think they're stupid and move on, I know that I could if I wanted to, <laughs> right? But I just don't want to, so I'm not going to do it. Isn't that a lovely place to be? Yeah, okay, anyone else? Please tell me I'm not alone in this. Okay, all right. Okay, so... Here we are, and Kurt is working so hard with all of us to get us to a place of empowered, right? And he'll have us pray. He'll have us sit and listen for God and give a word to the person next to you. Yeah, I freeze up. I, I got nothing, right? I'm looking around me going, I'm glad it's my kids sitting next to me. <laughs> this is safe because <laughs> there's nothing I can do. Um, and I pray, I hate it when people ask me to pray, because again, I'm like, ah, God, I want to speak your word, and I got nothing. And then Justine the other day, right, she had us read through the scripture, and we were supposed to explain what God just gave to us, and it was the story of Jesus, and I sat there, and I read the scripture, and went, mmm, Jesus looks like a prig. God. Okay, I'm going to shut up. And I am so glad the rest of you guys got something different. <laughs> that I could sit in community and go, oh, oh, that's beautiful. Pam, what you shared and what Kara shared, I went, oh, there it is. And why couldn't I do that on my own? Well, because I needed you guys. Right? So this empowered thing has been hard for me been hard on my husband because he has to listen to me. <laughs> and we go home, and I'm processing, and I'm going, God, I so believe in you. I so know who you are. You are such a part of my life, but this isn't working. Who do you see me as? How do you measure me? <sighs> who do you see me when you look at me? What's your measuring stick? And that's what I've been asking for two years. 
There have been two people who have been a huge part of this process. One's been my husband. The other's been my mother. She gets to listen to me week in and week out, go, ah, God's here. God's not here. Where am I? How does this work? So I'm going to ask my mother if she'll pray for the sermon. And as Kurt says, um, pray for another church. Father, how we thank you that we gather here in your name as hundreds of churches across this country do. I thank you, Lord, for my church in Vancouver, Washington, that ministers to so many people. I ask, Lord, that you will continue to empower their ministry and their outreach. And this day, as your word is presented, people will respond to you there in the way that you call them to do. Lord, your word tells us so clearly, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. What an identity, Lord, that I am yours, and I stand here beside my daughter because she is yours also. How I ask, Lord, that because she has responded to your love, that you will give her your presence and your power and your proclamation to speak your promises to us as people who wait before you so that we can then respond to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So this year, Eric and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> 20 years of wonderful hard work, right? Anyone who's done it? <laughs> okay. So we went to Hawaii, just the two of us, for a whole week. Was wonderful. But prepping for Hawaii, so we were thinking beaches and pools and sun and the whole thing meant, of course, a new swimsuit. Yeah, that's, yeah, no, not fun. And not only did it mean a new swimsuit, it actually meant a bikini because, well, it's Hawaii. Growing up a rules person, bikinis were on the no-no list. You didn't wear those. They were not okay. And so I never, never had worn one. And somewhere through, you know, this course of being a mother and a woman and all the rest, I realized being a woman is nothing to hide. And it's okay to wear that, especially for my husband, especially on our 20th anniversary. And so that was great. But by the time I came to that realization, I'd had four kids. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> And I wasn't so sure that I wanted to parade that fact around, even though, let's face it, guys, anyone over 40 has stretch marks, whether you're a woman or a guy, <laughs> okay? It's, it's a sign of life, whether you've grown life or life has grown on you, right? <laughs> okay. And I'm like, all right, I am okay. I can do this. And we went to Hawaii, and wow, I had no idea the freedom. Thank you. It was so much fun. We were in the waves, we were in the sand, and I was really glad I wasn't wearing jeans and a t-shirt. It just would have totally ruined the whole experience. 
And oh, I know we looked kind of dumb because while we like the water, we don't like to put our face in the water. I want to breathe when I want to breathe. But we, we could experience the waves. We could experience being together. It was beautiful. <clears throat> Until I saw the pictures. <laughs> and it was sort of that distorted view, right? I was prepared for the stomach, but I wasn't prepared for the way the rest of me looked. <laughs> this was just the feeling I had, right? <laughs> of that farmer's tan. It screamed, tourist. I didn't want to say tourist. I wanted to say suave, sophisticated person. No, there I was. <laughs> and this is how I felt. And I, I thought, okay, give me the cover up. We're going off. We're going to pretend the lifeguard hasn't watched all of this happening, <laughs> right? Okay. And I looked at Eric and I said, I feel like those memes that are out there, how I see me and how everyone else sees me. <laughs> And let's just go. And Eric looked at me. We said, yeah, but we forgot the part about how I see you. I had to stop. I thought, I'm not going to cry on the beach of Hawaii. <laughs> but I realized when I'd had this picture in my head, it was the same feeling I had when I'd leave church feeling a little bit like a hypocrite in a charismatic church because I wasn't doing these things. I felt exposed. But that's not what my husband saw, and that's not what God sees. And God sees me. God sees all of me. He knows all of me, and he loves all of me. So this is what Eric saw. <laughs> he saw life, and that's what God sees, is life. So Kezia, my daughter, you can figure out which one of those is my daughter and which one is her roommate. <laughs> Give you a hint. She's the one that looks like me. Um, God had given her a vision a while back, and she came down to Overflow to speak about it. And in this vision was a gigantic mirror that was stretched out as far as she could see, and it was shattered into billions of pieces. And each shard reflected brightly brilliance, radiance, this whole thing was just shining. And what God said to her was, this is all of humanity. From the very beginning of time, anyone who's ever lived, to the very end of time, everyone that's lived. And each piece is a reflection of me. It reflects my glory. But each piece reflects such a tiny piece of me. It takes all of you to reflect me. And look, guys, a mirror doesn't choose to reflect. This is what a mirror does. We were made in God's image. We were made as a reflection of him. Whether we know him or not, 
we reflect him and we need all of him and we are a piece that's needed to reflect the whole not a piece that needs to be changed we may need Windex <laughs> but we reflect God because we're made in his image a couple weeks ago Sean preached he had a really good message and he had something for us to do at the end of the message which was to confess the sins the places where there's Windex right <laughs> a need for Windex and then we were supposed to confess that and then pray for the opposite which is a very important prayer but I want to present something different to that because I think we're always having to look for the opposite but if we're a reflection of God, maybe we aren't supposed to reflect the opposite. Maybe we've missed something. If we go way back to the garden, I think each of the things that we reflect are actually a need God placed in us that was fulfilled when we lived in the garden. The garden was home. It, it was a beautiful place, and we don't live there anymore. We live in a very, very broken world, right? But in the garden, we had needs that reflected God. And okay, there we go. What do we have in the garden? First off, we had beauty. And the garden was beauty. God was beauty. Everything there was beautiful. And we have a need for beauty. Woman, don't we have a need for beauty? <laughs> okay, men, don't we have a need for beauty? <laughs> it was. And it was there in the garden full and pure and beautiful and that's what it was there for we had a need for relationship and we had that relationship fulfilled with one another and with our creator uh, last night I was sitting around the piano with my mom and she plays old hymns and we sing and she hits the alto note for me because I can't hear it on my own <laughs> and there's the old song I go to the garden alone and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. Can you imagine that time where we communicated, where we weren't lonely? All of our needs were there and being met by our creator. It was a need placed inside us. Fulfilling work. They worked in the garden. Adam and Eve worked, but they didn't have to sit through endless meetings. <laughs> they didn't, you know, step on a Lego in the middle of the night trying to help a kid get to the bathroom before there was an accident. Uh, their construction, the nails always went in straight. There wasn't a problem with the windows breaking. The work was fulfilling because we were made to do it and they did it. And things worked. We had dominion. We weren't always having to jerry-rig things to make them work the right way. In the garden, things were right, which created peace. It relieved us from fear and anxiety. But to me, the most important thing, we were fully known, and we were fully loved. We were naked. There was nothing God didn't see. 
and we were fine with it. Fully known in an intimacy that was safe, and we were fully loved. Enter Satan. And he says, yeah, you only think you got it good. You're missing out, right? So they go and they bite the apple and they go, oh my gosh, I'm naked. And they sew up fig leaves like that works, right? How many of you guys have done well with fig leaves? (laughs) They can't be known anymore because if we're known, we can't be loved. Hmm, yeah. (laughs) We think we can be loved or we can be known, but we can't be both. God says wrong, and he covered them. The thing to me is Satan wins twice. He dupes us once into the sin, right? Because we're trying to fulfill a need. We're trying to find beauty. We're trying to find love. We're trying to find peace and fulfillment. And we go about it seeking after what he says is going to fill it for us. It doesn't. And then here we are, crushed under the weight of sin, feeling guilty, And Satan then goes, yeah, sorry, that's all there actually is. He wins twice when we sin. And that's not it. God created us for things. He created us to reflect him. I think we often picture the Trinity, please excuse me, as three men sitting around a poker table going, hey, what are all the things that are fun to do? And let's make them sins for humanity, right? <laughs> feel like, <laughs> like gambling, right? This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, and they can't do it. <laughs> no, that's not what God did. That's not what sins are, a list of things we can't do because they might be too much fun. It's more like we were created to be something of this nature, right? Or some of you might feel more like this model, In my case, this is my model. Um, (laughs) But if we were created to run like this, this would be the book that would be important to us. Yeah. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list of, oh, this makes life better. Beyond that, God is our Father. He watches. And if you're watching a little kid run across the street, every instinct in you grabs them back because you know what's about to happen. God's instincts are, oh, you are trying to reflect me, to fill the hole in your heart in a way that's going to do nothing but break you. You are trying to reflect something, but your image is distorted reflecting the wrong thing. I want you to be a real reflection of me. And we can see this in other places in the Bible. We often, again, we look for opposites, right? And if we look at Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed. And I have heard this preached so many times about how he became um, the opposite of who he was. And I think maybe there's another way to look at it. I think maybe Jacob was trying really hard to reflect, but in his own image. He was born grabbing his twin's heel, going, yeah, this wasn't right, 
I was supposed to be the one in charge because that was the prophecy, right? Was that the, actually the younger would be in charge of the elder. And Jacob knew this. And Jacob was raised to this. And Jacob looked around and went, it's not working that way. And his mother went, it's not working that way. And they both went, we need to fix it. And Jacob means grasps the heel, trickster, deceiver, because he's trying to make the world do what he thinks the world should do. That was his image. And then one night he had an encounter with God, and it became a wrestling match. And when you wrestle someone, there's no getting out of it. You know them. I've been told. You're going to have to tell me back there, Thorsons. Inside and out. You know the wrestler. <laughs> this is a very intimate contact sport. He wrestled with God, and he was holding him, and he says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And God said, it's about time. You were called deceiver because you see things are wrong, and you have been tricking people to get your own way. Well, you're right. Things are wrong but I want you to wrestle with me until you hear what's right. I want you and me to work together to change what's wrong in this world because you see it clearly. I'm going to call you into being. I'm going to call you Israel, one who wrestles with God. I'm not going to call you Jacob, wrong. I'm going to call you into fullness. I'm going to help you reflect. So now, we take all of this and we move into empowered. How do you reflect? The simple truth is, I can't do it. I can't pray healing over you. I can't speak prophetically over you. I can pretend but yeah, that doesn't work, so we just missed the whole thing. But what's interesting to me, though, is that in the rest of our life, we think we should be able to do that. If we have a sin issue, if we're stuck in something, we should be able to change ourselves. We should not be entrapped by that anymore. We should trust God. Or maybe you should say, I should, I should hear the eyes? Guys, it's even in kind of, I'll call it our American culture, if we follow the rules, we'll get 2.5 kids and we'll have a house. Has that worked for everyone in here? No, <laughs> it hasn't. But we think if we do it right, we'll end up in the right spot. Mm. No. It takes just as much empowerment to break out of the sin as it does to heal somebody. Which tells me all of us have been empowered because we've all had a moment where something's been freed in us and we've walked in victory. And we've all had lots of moments when we've tried and tried and tried and we're back there yet again. It's God that does it. It's God's power that moves it. And it's in almost all of our Christian teachings that we should be able to change. Um, the thing is, our identity is in what we do. I do this, it makes me a good person. I do that, it makes me a good person. Sometimes 
we, I think in our Christian life, we go back and forth between I'm so bad, there's no way God can love me, and I'm so good, of course God wants me. <laughs> and it's all about us. And as we're trying to be and to define ourselves and to fill these needs that are in us, we start looking to other things to fill that need. Right, we look to our job, all right? If I can just make this job work, it will fill the need in me. If my children will just love me, it will fill the need in me. If my marriage would be healed. Because these are all needs that were in the garden. They're things that should be. But when we, when, those, when we use those things to define our worth or soothe our pain, they can never hold up to the weight of what we just put on them. And they will fail us every time. And God knows that. Our identity won't do it for us. We can't earn God's approval. We can't earn the approval of those around us. And guys, we're afraid to be known. Because we're so afraid that if we are known, we won't be loved anymore. And that's not true. With God, like with my husband, my bikini body did not surprise him. He knew what was there. <laughs> He'd been through life with me on that. And you know what? When I'm 80 years old, have three chins, and body parts cover everything else, he will still love me because he sees me as his bride. And if that's what my husband sees, what does God see? He sees all of you. Nothing surprises him about you. You can't hide it. And the thing is, he then interjected himself into history to say, I love you. The Bible says while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemy, he loved us. And I've heard that passage so many times it doesn't go into my heart anymore. But I think, and I think about it, I think, if someone hated me, would I die for them? Well, if I thought that my death would change them, or they might say thank you. Sometimes they just settle for a thank you. But if my death would change them, I might be willing to do it in my most altruistic moment. But if I thought nothing would change, there's no way I'd do it. I, I'm not going to touch that. Guys, God died knowing most of us would do not accept what he just gave. And he did it anyway. That's love. That's love at a level that blows us away. And when we are looking, when we look that love in the face, when we see a love that has given everything, we can't help but respond to it. I almost cried on the beach because my husband said what he said, that he saw me. And when the creator of the universe says he sees you, he loves you, what are all these other things? 
how can that, it pales. We're still going to be rejected. And that rejection from someone dear to us is going to crush us. But it's not going to define us because the creator of the universe says you were worth something. We're still going to be drawn away by lust. We're still going to be drawn away by money. But if we step back, we go, oh, wait. <gasps> My worth is defined someplace else. My measuring stick is his love for me. That's what defines my value, is not what I've done. It's how much he loves me, all the way down. That's my measuring stick. And so when I fail my kids, when I bite my husband's head off, when I don't perform well, those aren't my measuring sticks. God's love is. It's like Kurt's picture last week. Who God is, God is love. Above and beyond. I don't know how to grasp what he has done for me. And then what he's done in that love is he said, you're mine. I see all of you. And you know those pictures, those dreams you have where you've shown up someplace and you realize you're naked? Yeah. And you're like trying to find something to fix that. I think that's us feeling that feeling of standing in front of God, totally exposed. He says, I've got this. And I see you through my son. I see you as my bride and I see you beautiful. And when you get a hold of that, that starts coming out as a reflection of his love. We're empowered. The Bible says that they're going to know we're Christians because of our love, not because of what we do. We're going to fail pretty regularly. It's how we work. But we're loved. And we're going to learn how to love. And we're going to respond in love when we dwell in it that's what we were made to reflect in our own unique ways. So I want to tell a couple stories to wrap this up. This was probably 10 years ago. Heidi, my cousin, was living with us at that point. This was Tamara's horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Forget Alexander. I had, he had nothing on me um, <laughs> for that day. I had four kids. Uh, ranging in age from maybe eight to three at this point. And I had decided to try a new recipe with a pot roast. It was one that you left on the stove and it worked. Yeah, you remember the day, huh? <laughs> and this is the night before the terror. I mean, it all just kind of, yeah, it was the perfect storm. I left it on the stove and left the house and that's not how you cook pot roast. <laughs> so I burned the pot roast, but not like burned the pot roast, like set the fire alarms off, like the whole house reeked of pot roast, like the garage reeked of burned pot roast, like the car when I drove to the grocery store still reeked of pot roast, kind of burn, right? So we had to take, it was still the middle of the spring, so it's 50 degrees outside, we have 
all the windows open. We are wiping down every flat surface in the house with something that's supposed to take the smell out. We've got all of the, yeah, all the, <laughs> the couch cushions, the bed you know, the blankets, everything is all over the front lawn trying to get the smoke smell out. And in the middle of our yard sale, <clears throat> trying to get rid of the smoke smell, the upstairs toilet. And I knew why this upstairs toilet had overflowed. Because I have children created in the image of their father. <laughs> yeah. Fair assessment. <laughs> Fair assessment. And you know, they were little. How much toilet paper does it hold, right? <laughs> this was not the first time it had ever overflowed. And I, an inch of water all over the bathroom and the whole house smelled like smoke and I'm just like oh my gosh so I looked at my son who was about six and I said your fault your mess here are the towels go fix it rules right I'm gonna teach him responsibility love and logic natural consequences you will clean the house and if that doesn't work we're pulling out the carrot and the stick and we're saying we're all going to ice cream when everything's clean and if you don't have it clean no ice cream for you haha -ha, you know I didn't look at my son's heart. I didn't look at the fact that he was actually exploring, checking out cause and effect. He was reflecting. <laughs> I was looking at rules. I was looking at a ceiling that was now dripping onto my kitchen counter from the bathroom downstairs. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was bad. The rest of the house got clean that no one had touched that bathroom. Fortunately, Heidi was living with me, and my cousin Brooke was living with me, and I went, yes, a moment of love and logic. Everyone can go to ice cream, and I can stay home with the errant boy. Win! Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Sent him up to his room, and oh, man, can this kid throw a fit. And I'm listening to him stomp upstairs, and the water's still leaking through the ceiling, because by George, I'm not going to clean it up. <laughs> and then I hear the crash. I'm like, the only thing that would be would be a window. I bet that was a Lego table through the window. That's exactly what it was. Then we had a whole other thing to deal with. We've got a broken window. We've got the dripping faucet. We, I, you know, OK. And, then I have to deal with the boy <laughs> who just clearly lost his temper, who clearly needs to learn how to control things. So I've got this crack in my ceiling to this day that reminds me that I wasn't looking at how my kids were reflecting. Yeah, I got to deal with the temper. Yeah, I got to deal. But I didn't just get in there with them and say, we can do this together. You're exploring. We're gonna find another way to explore. Together we can wipe this up. And I want you to continue to be who you were created to be. But let's find another avenue that doesn't involve poop. <laughs> and I didn't do that. So every time I see that crack, really, until I actually did my preach call with Kurt, it brought shame because I didn't reflect, I reverted to rules. I'd labeled my kid someone with a temper instead of someone who was reflecting a father. It's 
set a pattern. There is another crack in our ceiling. This one's in the computer room. <laughs> this is a different story. Another person who is reflecting a father. This person's a little older. <laughs> okay. For those of you who don't know Eric, though I think a lot of you have heard him preach and you get the general idea, had, <laughs> if we believed in reincarnation, this is who he's channeling, okay? <laughs> Something like that. And he had decided that he wanted to do electrolysis, right, we're not removing hair. We're splitting the water. So he's got a two-liter container of water. I don't need to say anything else, right? Okay, <laughs> with two electrodes in it. And what the electrodes do in layman's terms is they separate the molecules of water into oxygen and hydrogen. Hydrogen being flammable. <laughs> and so we had two tubes coming out. Remembering, okay. And then the um, hydrogen would come out the tube. And he had it in a bowl of um, dish soap. So the hydrogen would blow nice little bubbles, and they'd float away, and then he could light them on fire. Right? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> this is what my house looks like. <laughs> okay. So, nice little all over the house, right? But really, that much water, that much electricity, little bubble pops exciting. And he told the kids, though, listen, don't ever, ever light the bubble when it's still attached to the hose. Because the hose is filled with hydrogen, and it goes down into the liquid in here, which is now has oxygen molecules floating ar in, around in it that have been separated from the oxygen, and it'll be a big mess. So don't do it. Yeah, the kids listened. <laughs> but there was this really... I was in bed. This is why it happened. A really big bubble, I, I don't know, bubble that was just growing on the end of the hose. I'm sure it wasn't. But, you know, it was just so enticing and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and, oh, killed him. He had to light it. He lit it. <laughs> and it did exactly what he told the kids it would do. <sighs> Two liters of water all over the computer room. This plastic container shot straight up like a rocket. We can see the square on the top of the ceiling. I, I mean, water all over him, plastic shards everywhere, and he was grinning like a loon. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and we have a crack in our ceiling, <laughs> and he cleaned it up. He was reflecting God. He was reflecting who he was made to be. And this story is going to be told at every Thanksgiving table from here on out, right? <laughs> the night Dad blew up the computer room because <sighs> he was being who he needed to be. He was reflecting. And when we reflect, we're going to have some exuberant results. <laughs> but church... What's it going to look like? Both of these things, right? We're failures. 
But in one, we called out God's reflection. And in another, we told them you failed. What happens if we as a church start looking at how to call out how we reflect God in each other? Because we each reflect a small piece. What I reflect is not going to be what someone else reflects. But I need that you reflect in order to know God. We need what each one of us reflects for the world to know God. And people reflect God who don't even know him. And what happens if we're calling that out in them? You are made in the reflection of God's image. Talk about being empowered. Talk about a brilliant mirror to the world saying you are loved, you are known, and there's something beautiful that you're a part of. So let's do it. Let's call out the reflection of God and others. Find how your children reflect God. Find how your spouse reflects God. Let God show you how you reflect God. Let's pray. God, I don't know how you love us, but you do. Stretch marks, warts, and all. There is nothing hidden from you, and you love us. And then you let us reflect you. God, take from us our distorted views, the things that keep us from knowing the truth of our identity in you the truth of your identity. And may we as a church be brilliant. May we reflect. May we take delight in who you have made us to be and who you've made each of the people in our lives to be. Open our eyes to see that. Empower us to see that because we don't see it on our own. Oh, you are magnificent. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you. That was wonderful. Amen. <clears throat> There's so much that was in that. I'm going to pick one part of it for a communion. Early on in there, Tamara said that one of the problems that she had in Christianity was is that whenever anybody defined for her what she was to be, it always came in the context of that she had to change in order to become it. So her identity of herself was something that wasn't reflecting God, something that wasn't right, something that was a failure, and I need to change in order. God's image. What I love about the sermon that you just gave, so many different things. The story about Eric is going into my Thanksgiving 
okay? But what I love, of this image, this, this idea of identity, that it isn't something that you need to change to. It's just something you need to wipe away. You need to wipe away what has clouded who you are. Because whether you want to be as reflection or not, you are. <laughs> right? That's who we all are, whether we know him or not. That's the truth. A lot of stuff gets on there. I got it. But you don't need to change who you are in order to become that. What you need to do is get it washed away, is get it wiped away. Now, that doesn't, you can go theologically and talk about needing to be born again, and we get that, and we'll do that some other day, okay? But what I really love about what she just did is she said, what we need to embrace is that our true identity is the image of God, that we are a reflection of the image of God. That's our identity. And then it's just a matter of starting to become that more and more. <laughs> right? So Lord, in Jesus' holy, reach down. Pick up your communion. It's in front of you. There's two cups. In the lower cup is this bread. Lord, we, we pick out this cup with the bread in it and we lift it up to you. And what we recognize is, in a new way, in a new way right now, we recognize a new truth. Now, I, it, was, it, was, it was a revelation to me to stop thinking of myself as needing to be wholly changed but instead just needing to be washed clean. Even as a Christian. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, thank you that you have shown us a way of understanding your healing, of understanding what you did, of understanding who we really are. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup in which is the failures of our life. But rather than seeing them as something that we are, we begin to see them as something that from the very beginning was just mud. Mud being caked onto who you made us to be. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we stick our finger in there and break it for a new reason today. And that is the things we've done that contribute to clouding the mirror. And we take this and we say, thank you for washing us clean. Thank you that by your stripes we are healed. Thank you, Jesus, that in our baptism in you, we have gone down under that water, under the ground. We have died. We have been washed. And we are coming up a pure reflection of you. Thank you, God, for making us that. Take this cup together, would you please? And now in Jesus' most beautiful name, lift up this cup in which is that life. The blood washes us completely clean. We know that we still do some things to cloud it up, but we just let you come and do the, do the, the cleaning, washing us. We start to embrace the things that we want in our spirit and not the things that we want in our flesh. We come before you choosing to put our mind on the things of the spirit that we might live in the way that you intended. We already are that. It's easy to become it. We just choose it, and then we let you do the empowered thing of bringing us into it. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, empower us to become ever more beautiful, ever more perfect, ever more.